Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love. Love at first listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people... It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. KFI AM640. You're listening to the John Cobell podcast on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. This is the KFI News special Hate Modern Antisemitism. I'm Steve Gregory. This program may contain content not suitable for everyone. Discretion advised. In the last hour, you heard about the state of anti-Semitism throughout Southern California. Nationwide, organizations like the American Jewish Committee are monitoring anti-Semitic activity throughout the United States and around the world. Ted Deutsch is the chief executive officer of the AJC and in December of 2020 was part of a White House summit on anti-Semitism. I asked him about his visit to the White House and the current state of anti-Semitism in the U.S. We know that anti-Semitism continues to rise. We saw that in the FBI numbers that have just been released. But uh, AJC also has released a survey that is really alarming, which shows not just the number of anti-Semitic attacks, but the impact that it's having on the community and and on America as a whole. Ninety percent of the people in America overall believe that anti-Semitism is a serious problem, and four in five 
Jews say that anti-Semitism has increased over the last five years. And, and then finally, most concerning, over 40% of Jews living in America feel less secure today than they did just a year ago. It's a, it's a, it's an enormous problem, not only for the Jewish community, because anti-Semitism never just stops with the Jews. This is a problem that impacts other minority groups, society as a whole, uh, and ultimately the democracy that that we live in that that allows us to live free. And in that roundtable, Ted, did you discuss the causes, the root issues, and why the spike in these hate crimes and, and just hate in general? There are there was a, a, a conversation about about how the this hatred is allowed to spread. I mean, ultimately, anti-Semitism, Jew hatred, is a conspiracy theory, and it's it's existed uh, for thousands of years. And and the impact of anti-Semitism on the Jewish community, as I said, is real. We come to this when someone tweets, someone with with millions of followers on social media tweets and shares uh, vitriolic hatred of Jews. It invites the anti-Semites who have been under their rocks to come out into public. It normalizes anti-Semitism. It says that it's somehow okay to to unfurl banners over highway bridges and to distribute anti-Semitic literature and to shine anti-Semitic statements flat on the sides of buildings. That's that's the challenge that we have. So it's not not a question of where it comes from. Look, there's a, a spike in in the conspiracy the spreading of conspiracy theories. We saw this through COVID in particular, but at this moment, we've seen the spread because of uh, the the prevalence of anti-Semitism on social media, the fact that social media companies need to do more to enforce their own rules against this kind of, of hate speech that, that causes uh, tr trouble in society and poses a threat to the community. And what were solutions? Any solutions offered at this roundtable? Sure. There were, look, there were lots of suggestions, uh, some to deal with the immediate threat and, and the need to have uh, available resources to harden Jewish facilities. But beyond that, we need a national plan. And AJC has worked with the White House uh, to uh, to really move forward on a, uh, a whole of government approach. Our call to action against anti-Semitism provides ways for every sector of government to fight anti-Jewish hatred. And uh, and the this effort that's been launched by the administration as a result of the meeting we had will lead, we hope, to a real national action plan uh, that will provide ways for for the federal government, state governments, businesses, law enforcement, uh, all of them to come up with ideas to combat this vile hatred that, that again, poses a risk to society as a whole. Wouldn't you agree that this all starts in the home? That, uh, there, that, that maybe there's not enough being done to educate young people on hate, its impact, uh, the, the overall, I guess, the overall uh, disintegration of values. And I mean, don't you think it really starts in the home? Well, it, well it's interesting. It's a really interesting question. Uh, on the one hand, sure, but what does that even mean anymore? Uh, again, it's it's not just uh, it's it's not just what 
gets passed on in a family setting from from uh, parents to kids. It, it's what kids are seeing every day on social media and the impact that that has. But of course, it, look, education is a huge part of this. What we've found is that there are so many of these anti-Semitic tropes, so much language that gets used that, that again, comes from, from this, these long-standing conspiracy theories that people often don't even recognize as anti-Semitism. They don't know the impact it has. That's why AJC put out a, put out a document called Translate Hate, just to give people a better understanding of, of how the, the words that are said, words that they may learn at home, words that they may learn by their spending time on the internet, uh, that those words have real impact. And it's true. That's true, by the way, across all forms of hatred. Uh, education is key in helping people understand how words can lead to actions, actions lead to violence. And in the case of the Jewish community, that violence has often led to expulsion from countries. It, it led to the near annihilation of the entire Jewish people during the Holocaust. Uh, that's why education is such a key. And that does start at home. Absolutely. Social media. Uh, I know I was talking with uh, uh, folks from the Wiesenthal Center and social media has played such a huge role in this, as you mentioned. What kinds of conversations and dialogues have you had with the platforms, the, the people that run these platforms? Are they amenable to your solutions? Are they at least letting you have a seat at the table? The good news is social media companies uh, have have usually robust hate speech policies. Uh, certainly relative to where they were just a few years ago. But given the number of American Jews who have experienced anti-Semitism online, which is well more than half, 85% of, of young people, uh, we have to do more than just provide lip service. The, the Facebook and, and Twitter and other companies uh, have, I, they, there's a, a crossroads between free speech and hate speech. And, they have to decide which road we're on and and making sure that they're not making it easy for people to transmit hate speech that can lead to violence is a key part of what they do. So, look, we think they can remove anti-Semitic content that violates their own policies. They can strengthen their own hate speech policies to include all forms of anti-Semitism, that there's a modern form of anti-Semitism that's defined there's a working definition of that that the international holocaust remembrance alliance has put out that's been adopted by dozens of countries social media companies could adopt that they could ensure greater transparency in drafting their policies their algorithms that that are used to send the information directly to your feed there's more transparency that can be provided there to make sure that it's not just uh sending more and more hatred to uh to to further the the aims of the the anti-semites anti the hate mongers others who are trying to use their technology so there there's a lot more community standards i think is something that could help a great deal uh and we've had conversations we have ongoing conversations with social media companies and we've had successes and we in terms of taking down Holocaust denial and and uh, and addressing some of those challenges, but there's there's a lot more that can be done. Make it easier to report anti-Semitism. The the systems that are in place, the moderation systems, 
to make sure that that they're that that they're able to identify coded anti-Semitism and hate speech. All of these things, we know the kinds of things that can be done, and we're we're working as best we can to encourage them to do it. But ultimately, there's real responsibility that they have to take action themselves. You can hear the complete interview with Ted Deutsch by downloading the companion podcast to this program on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up, we speak with an Asian-American artist who uses his brush on the walls of buildings in downtown Los Angeles to support the Jews. But first, this is the KFI News special, Hate, Modern Anti-Semitism, on KFI AM640. You're listening to John Kobelt, on demand, from KFI AM640. KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Steve Gregory, and this is the KFI News special, Hate, Modern Anti-Semitism. Anytime there's advocacy for a marginalized group or a worthy cause, an artist usually isn't too far away. Andrew Hem was born during his parents' flight from Cambodia following the Khmer Rouge genocide. Hem was always fascinated by graffiti and developed a unique style of using blues and reds to bring his impressions of culture to life. He is also an accomplished muralist who paid tribute to a woman who was a Holocaust rescuer. We're down here in a very busy street in the Arts District, downtown Los Angeles. We're at the intersection of Santa Fe and 6th Street. Tell us what we're looking at. Uh, this is a mural that dedicated to Irene Opdyke. Um, and for those of you who don't know, she's a um, Polish um, nurse who uh, saved uh, 12 uh, Jews from uh, the Nazis. And um, yeah, she just helped protect them and just kept them safe during the whole uh, uh, Nazi time. So what did you learn about her before you put uh, brush to, to wall? Um, I learned that she just, you know, she was a hero. And, and for me, like, I didn't know about her. And, and I feel like most people, um, probably my age bracket, uh, doesn't either. So um, I feel, I hope that this mural, since there's not that much people my issue knows about her, that it just brings more awareness to her and her heroic deeds. So let's step back for a moment. I want you to give us a word picture of what we're looking at, including the colors, because the colors are so bright. They're pastel in nature to me. Yeah. Uh, but but describe the colors and what your inspiration was for these specific colors. I was given, because you know, there's not that much pictures of her online, so I was given a handful of images, and they're all black and white. And, 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 and uh, for me, I, I saw this black and white, and I just wanted to create um, vibrancy to it, and just not just, just this monochromatic kind of dull depiction so I, my key okay, was just how Eric, do I make this vibrant and uh, I, I'm obsessed with colors I love colors uh, so I, I think it um, I think it was a challenge for me just Hello, trying to transfer this black and white to vivid colors but um, I chose a lot of blues I love blues greens uh, pinks reds um, a lot of primary colors that, that I just um, kind of mix together and just try to create this harmonic uh, imagery yeah so talk about it because you actually when you talk about a mural it in the scope of it in the size of it yeah. it's very large but yeah. it's got a bunch of little motifs in it yeah so let's start i really am curious about this we have on the bottom left side as you look from the street it's there, it's purple and you've got seven individuals sitting around a coffee right. table okay well these seven individuals are, are people that she saved um and they're they're obviously in, in a time bracket where it's, it's 
black and white. So I didn't want to take too far off of that uh, whole uh, monochromatic feel. So I, I want to kept it. Uh, I want to keep it monochromatic, but with a little slight hints of purples and pinks, just to show that there's is, is a really dated imagery. And uh, um, I wanted to make it abstract too. So um, there's a lot of just like triangular shapes, a lot of uh, uh, blocks and, and 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 squares. But it, it's it's. It starts off monochromatic, then as it shoots out to where her, her holding it, it's more of a kind of modern day, uh, how she is now. So obviously it's, it's a brighter and, and more vivid in colors. Did you have a photo of these seven individuals? I did, I did. Uh, this is, is this derived from the photo? From reference, yes. This is from reference. And um, since the image was smaller, um, you know, I felt like if I were to make it more detailed, it'll take away from her. So I wanted to make it uh, less uh, readable, so it becomes like a third or fourth read. And I wanted uh, the focus to be on her, and then, um, you know, what she's holding. It's interesting to see that, you know, and knowing now that these seven people had, were saved by her. Um, do you know the circumstances around how that happened? Um... I just know that she uh, she saved them, like she stored, like she didn't store it, but she, she hid them away. She hid them away and then once they were eventually found, she offered herself as a favor to keep them safe. In a way that she sacrificed her own body to protect these uh, people, which was uh, very heroic. Well, when you look at the colors you've given her, is there any significance to these sort of, and I, for lack of a better title for it I, I i'm looking at like peach and kind of a you know orangey peach i it was there is that a specific color that you imagined her you know part of the process was uh, i envisioned some uh, of this color in my head kind of like this peach color but then as it got to the wall i added oranges and i added stuff so it it, it just gives it more of a variation of of color but it's also in the same value but it just, just so it's not just a solid pink, I, I just improvise and add orange and, and purples and um, certain colors. But I feel like a, a majority of the color was in my head already. Uh, as I got to the wall, I added um, spontaneous colors just to make it more uh, lively. I noticed butterflies. Yeah, yeah. So the butterflies is supposed to symbolize Irene because there's a lot of um, people in the, in the piece. So uh, I wanted to, to uh, since there's a, um, a timeline of uh, when she was younger and when she was older, I wanted the butterfly to show the viewers, okay, this is her when she was younger, this is her when older, just so that they know this is Irene and not somebody she saved. Got it. So the, the butterfly is a reference point. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So then as we look back here, Tell us what it says there. What are, what are the letters that say in the middle? Well, that's the, uh, uh, the company that uh, contacted me, the Righteous Among the, um, the Nations Global Mural Project. They, they asked me if I was interested in, in doing this piece and this location. And I think oftentimes, you know, I do murals and, and, and it's kind of like, hey, you know, um, do what you want, you know, paint what you want. So I, I felt like this was a, a special thing to do where... You know, there's a subject matter and there's like a powerful subject matter. So, um, so I was more than happy to do this. What about the other side? Can we go? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious here as we walk through, what was this picture uh, denoting that you saw? Well, this is somebody that she saved and then it, it seems like she's just showing this, this complete love um, to this human being. And, you know, she's kissing her on the cheek um, somewhat 
similar to what a, a parent would do to uh, uh, their own child. But uh, I think it's very special how you know she's uh, how much she loves somebody like that. I know. you also have the words art over hate. Yeah. Tell me why that's important for you. Um, well, I, I think r right now, uh, it, you know, ever since COVID, you know, people see more. Well, I feel like er anytime there's a natural disaster or anything, people tend to have hate over uh, over a certain race that they feel like responsible. With with 9/11, you know, there was a lot of uh, attacks on Middle Eastern. With with COVID, there was a lot of attacks on, on Asian Americans. So um, the first mural I did for them was during COVID, it was uh, Stop Asian Hate. And um, they reached out to me again and said, hey, we would like to do another um, kind of hate campaign and, and would you be interested in this? And uh, this is my second time working for them. Um, both times are just against hate. The entire interview with Andrew Hamm is on the companion podcast to this program and can be downloaded on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up, an exclusive tour of the only traveling exhibit of Auschwitz. But first, this is the KFI News special, Hate, Modern Anti-Semitism on KFI AM 640. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPL LSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Michael Rappaport, and my wife, KB Rappaport, starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You're listening to John Kobelt on demand from KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. This is the KFI News special, Hate, Modern Anti-Semitism. I'm Steve Gregory. One of the most well-known and iconic symbols of the Holocaust is Auschwitz, the concentration and extermination camp located in southern Poland. Dr. Michael Berenbaum is with the American Jewish University in Los Angeles, but was also commissioned to curate the only worldwide traveling exhibition of Auschwitz. He took us on a personal tour of the exhibit while it was being installed at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. Where do you start? Did Auschwitz tell you what they're going to give you, or did you request items from them? I always start backwards. If you ask me how I create an exhibition, I always say you have to answer four questions. What, where, with what, and how? What do you want to say? And where do you want to say it? And where is not only location physically, but its location in time? Meaning, we're at a time, for example, where some of the themes of the Holocaust are echoed, unfortunately, in contemporary life. So you have a segment, section on, on judgment, and you hear the concept of crimes against humanity. Crimes against humanity were abstract until the invasion of Ukraine. When you hear the president talk about crimes of humanity, you hear the president of European countries, you hear Macron, you hear uh, the prime minister of Britain, the chancellor of Germany, all talking about crimes against humanity. The origin of that is here. Wars of aggression. Again, echoes in certain, certain respects. It's not to say that Russia is committing a holocaust. It's saying that you have echoes, faint and sometimes vivid echoes. So I start with what do we have to say? Then I say, where are we saying it? Where is the place and time? And also the location. So in the Reagan Library, we have a very unique thing because this was done by government. This was all perpetrated by Nazi German government. There were German laws, the German army, the German bureaucracy, the German Justice Department, the German foreign ministry, the German army. All of these were instrumentalities of the state. So we have to pay attention to the fact that what is the, so far, the great achievement of America, which is that the state is, is restrained by checks and balances, by respect for human dignity and human decency, by the notion of inalienable rights. So where has a very particular poignancy in this place at this time? Also, at this time, we're doing something else, which is we are in the transitionary moment, the last moment in the life of survivors. Transition from lived history to historical memory, and the institution becomes the heir of the survivors. With what? I come with a shopping list. They say yes and no. And sometimes, you know, if they don't have the fruit you want, you choose another fruit. If they're not willing to sell you the fruit that they have, in this case, lend us the fruit that they have, use a different artifact. So, for example, 
we haven't installed it. It's not going to be installed. We could have asked for a thousand shoes, or we could have asked, and we did ask for one colored shoe to illustrate. And we have a beautiful woman's red shoe, high heels. And you think of in Washington, we have 5,000 shoes. And we use a poem, we are the shoes of grandparents and grandchildren from Paris, Prague, and Amsterdam. And because we are made of, f of fiber and leather and not of flesh and blood, each of us avoided the hellfire. The shoes were saved, but not the people who wore them. So we think of the one red shoe in a background of thousands of shoes. Think, who is this woman? Did she go dancing in these shoes? Was she a stunning model? Was she, uh, you know, uh, what was her life? What is it that gets you to put on red shoes? Certainly not to go to a funeral. Certainly not to go to your doom. When we were walking through, you were gracious enough to give us a personal tour of the exhibit as it's going up. And one of the things that struck me, you stopped us at a chart on a wall. And that chart was, I assume, the way it looked, was a government document. And that document, if I heard you correctly, was sort of the criteria in which someone was labeled a Jew. The Nazis had a problem. The problem was that essentially they came with an anti-Semitic agenda, which targeted the Jews. But then you got to ask yourself the question, who are the Jews? And what they did is to divide the population by full Jews, three-quarter Jews, based on the religion of your grandparents, half Jews, quarter Jews, eighth Jews. Because how many, how many great-grandparents do you have? You have eight. And essentially they drew a demarcation line. This was racism incarnate because it was not by the identity you held, the values you practiced, the traditions you embraced, the faith that you worshipped. It was on the religion of your grandparents, namely what was within your blood. And that chart was a way to determine who was and who was not a Jew, who was to be discriminated against, and who was going to be a target of oppression. Later on, they discovered they had a second problem, which is unlike, for example, black skin or unlike Asian eyes, Jews look many different ways. So they had to mark the Jews. That's when they put on the yellow star in most countries, or in Poland they used the white armband to determine who was a Jew. It's called symbolization and identification. They forced you to wear a Jewish star so they knew whom to target. That's a government chart. The rule of a Jewish star was a government decree, and therefore they knew who to target and how to target them. You said that was racism incarnate. Racism incarnate is what, it, what condemns you. Remember, what is Martin Luther King's great line? I want people to be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. What is the opposite of racism when we judge people by who they are in terms of the content of their character, their artistry, their ability, all of those things that are involved rather than what? Labeling them because of some element of their identity. And for Jews, the criteria was not faith. 
in the German world, the criteria was blood. And it led to a very unusual thing. The last building standing in the Warsaw Ghetto was a Roman Catholic church. It was frequented by people who were Roman Catholic priests, Roman Catholic nuns, Roman Catholic parishioners, all of whom were defined by the Nazi government as Jews. So they were worshiping Catholics defined as Jews. Again, blood, not identity. As we continued our, our tour, you pointed out a number of things, and it's just too many to go into right now, but uh, another thing that you pointed out were these series of illustrations done by someone who was observing what was happening, and then he later offered testimony, and you said that this person, through his drawings, those drawings were the testimony. We all know that there are Holocaust memoirs by survivors. We all know that there were diaries taken by, you know, written in, in the situation by people who were victims, the most famous of which is Diary of Anne Frank. Memoirs like Elie Wiesel's Night or Primo Levi's Survival in Auschwitz. I worked as president and CEO of the Shoah Foundation, and we took the testimony of 52,000 survivors in 32 countries in 57 in in 57 countries in 32 languages all of whom offered video testimony but there were a unique group of artists who were in the camps who didn't offer us written testimony who didn't offer us verbal testimony they offered us art as testimony and the artist's testimony of the drawings that they drew to document what they experienced. The complete, compelling interview with Dr. Baron Baum is on the companion podcast to this program and can be downloaded on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up, we ask the big question, why Jews? But first, this is the KFI News special, Hate, Modern Antisemitism on KFI AM 640. You're listening to John Kobelt On Demand. From KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. This is the KFI News special, Hate, Modern Antisemitism. I'm Steve Gregory. In our final segment of the program, we ask the question, why are Jews a target? Here's Rabbi Abraham Cooper of the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Los Angeles. Well, I think for the most part of the last 2,000 years, we were the uh, other. We were always the minority in places like Europe and in the, across North Africa. Uh, we didn't pray the same way as the, uh, uh, as the main uh, societies um, prayed. And uh, back then, there were no such things as human rights. Uh, we were just a, an easy uh, mark, say that you know, from uh, Christian theology back in the Middle Ages was that Jewish people deserved to suffer and to be treated in second and third class and maybe be in ghettos because they didn't accept Jesus as their savior. So not to kill him, but not to uh, admit them either in terms of, uh, of, of, the, of the mainstream. And, you know, coming into the modern period of nationalism, well, uh, the Germans, the Nazis, of course, took it to the ultimate, saying uh, the Jews didn't deserve to live. They were outside parasites. 
Uh, never mind that, uh, you know, many German Jews served with distinction in World War I in the German military, not just in Britain or France or the U.S. Uh, and so, you know, for the communists, we're capitalists. For the capitalists, we're communists. Uh, it, it's, um, you know, ask uh, people who are ethnic Chinese in, in, uh, in certain countries in South, South Asia, where they're not, not the majority, but a minority. Uh, sometimes you pay the price because of the perceived uh, perception that you're doing too well in life. And it's, but we live in a democracy. We're supposed to have a level playing field. Uh, and that should not bring about uh, hatred. But again, I think it should be curiosity. We live in a, now with, between the internet, social media, and the fact we live in a democracy. If you have an interest to find out, like, what do Jews do in synagogue? Well, there are a lot of synagogues in the area. Um, you know, there are plenty of books to read up. There are, uh, Southern California is no shortage of rabbis of all stripes and, uh, uh, and orientations. So I, I think the most important thing also that I learned in, in my global uh, travels is this tremendous curiosity. Um, I've learned to also deal with my own stereotypes when I go overseas. Uh, and it's uh, sometimes a difficult uh, wall to bring down, but it's worthwhile the, uh, the effort. So education at the end of the day is what Mr. Wiesenthal said would be the key. And the other part that he also, I think I saw by example and, and, and always remembered is we need to build new alliances and friendships. When you talk about friendships and alliances, it means that not only do we need help when we have a problem, when our houses of worship are, are under potential attack, but we have to be there for the other communities. This is Todd Spitzer, the District Attorney of Orange County, California, and creator of that county's hate crime task force. Well, Jews like Asians, I think, have a reputation of being educated and successful, and the argument against Jews has been that they control the world, that they control the media, that they're manipulative, right, that they're rich, and they control the government and decision-making. And, uh, the, you know, they have to be put down uh, literally and figuratively for that reason. So that has been obviously the mantra and the myth that has percolated. I think that's why you've seen so much Asian hate. Uh, Asians have been so successful here in America uh, academically and financially and, and, and with the family structure. So I just think that groups that have been successful and assimilated well in, our, in this country, even though it's a melting pot, there's been a lot of resentment. And especially when the haters feel like they're being pushed out of power, they want to go after the groups who they feel are jeopardizing their status in society. And finally, Brandon Cohen, the head of school at a Jewish day school in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I laugh because it's like, you know, the question that's been, I think, hanging over us for all time, right? I mean, this kind of um, uh, hatred towards Jews has been around for thousands of years, and it's, um, I, 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 the short answer is I don't know, and I feel like any insight I have into it feels like um, not uh, comprehensive enough to fully explain it. So 
I'm hesitant to even like put something out there that really even pretends to understand it. Um, you know, I think at least in my experience more in sort of modern Judaism and, and really, you know, the generations that I've been exposed to is I think Jews are really good at assimilation and um, and it's a culture that you know, values um, education, hard work, and those things. And I think that uh, anytime... What, I'm sorry, I had to interrupt because I, okay. I, I wanna, what I want to get to the heart of is what possesses someone to put flyers at someone's doorstep? What possesses someone to put a banner on an overpass? Yeah. What possesses people to scream epithets? And why? I appreciate the question, and I ask the same question every time these things happen. I don't, I don't know, and I don't understand it. Um, and uh, I, 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 I really, it's not that I haven't thought about it, and it's not that I don't like, but, but I feel like my theories on it change depending on who is the person or what their background is and that's doing it because it doesn't it doesn't make sense it's in some ways because it comes from so many different places um and it and it and it presents itself in so many you know all over the world in different ways it 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 feels like it's um uh it's like when you're looking for a group to blame it's one of the first groups you go to but it's hard to i, I can't say why like I, I i can't say why so i wish i could give you some articulate answer that might add some you know something to the conversation and i think that might be the yes. answer yeah you know i i think it's going to be one of life's mysteries yeah perhaps that's where i stand that's how i feel hate modern anti-semitism is a production of the kfi news department for iheart media los angeles robin bertolucci program director chris little news director the program is produced by steve gregory and jacob gonzalez the complete interviews with these guests and more are available on the Hate Modern Antisemitism podcast, available on the iHeartRadio app. To learn more about antisemitism and how you can join the conversation, go to translatehate.org. That's translatehate.org. This is KFI AM640. Time now for a news update. Hey, you've been listening to the John Cobalt Show podcast. You can always hear the show live on KFI AM640 from 1 to 4 p.m. every Monday through Friday. And of course, anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love. 
love at first listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.